You're listening to the Stormcast, the official podcast of the Omaha Storm Chasers, proud AAA affiliate of the Kansas City Royals. High fly ball driven deep to left field. It is long gone. Outside corner, ring him up, called strike three. Here's your host, the voice of the Storm Chasers, Nick Batters. Everyone get on your feet, stir up the storm, we're family. Welcome into episode 75 of the Stormcast, the official podcast of the Omaha Storm Chasers, presented by the Sarpy County Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, the voice of the Storm Chasers, Nick Batters, and we're back for the first episode of 2024. I hope everyone had a safe and fun New Year and holiday season. Now we're turning our attention towards the 2024 season for both the Omaha Storm Chasers here at the AAA level and the Kansas City Royals at the Major League level. Feels like just yesterday we were wrapping up the season, finishing in Columbus, and we've had some great guests so far on the offseason season. We're about at that halfway point, getting pretty close to it. So let's kind of start to look down the track towards spring training and think about who might be in Omaha versus Kansas City. Look back a little bit last year and tie it all together. We welcome on Annie Rogers. She's the Royals beat writer for MLB.com. Annie, I appreciate you hopping on with us here on the Stormcast to chat Royals and Storm Chasers baseball. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's crazy that it's so close here. The, the baseball season's coming up. So this is about to be year four for you on the Royals? Beat? Correct. Yep. That seems crazy. I had to. I had to go through. I. I didn't realize. That, yeah. I had, that hadn't sunk in yet. I kind of paused there because I had to go through and make sure. But yeah, that's correct. This will be number four. What has this off season looked like for you? Obviously, maybe a little bit slower during the off season than the season. But but what has this off season been like for you? Yeah. Well, for a couple weeks there was the busiest off season of my life. Thanks to the Royals going out and signing some free agents. Um, that's always a lot of fun. And I have to commend the front office for getting it done before Christmas so I can enjoy the holiday with my family. But no, it's it's been a good off season, a relaxing one. Last off season was crazy because I got married last year. This year we didn't have any wedding planning to do, so that was <laughs> nice and relaxing. We just kind of hung out and taken a couple of trips. As far as work, like you said, it's way slows down in the off season. You cover news, you I have my newsletter two a week. So there's plenty of things to cover, but it's on a much more like normal schedule than the baseball season is. So I definitely uh, try to take advantage of it and kind of slow down a little bit. For you personally, what has been the best part of your off season and being able to have your life to yourself for a little bit? Some of those trips? Yeah, yeah. We went, um, my husband and I went to Boston in October. It was the first time he's been out there. I love the city. So we got to explore a little bit. And then we actually drove out to Cooperstown on that trip and saw the Baseball Hall of Fame for the first time. So that was probably my highlight. Uh, We're both big baseball nerds. So we really enjoyed that. We enjoyed the fall foliage and on the East Coast. It was really really cool. And Cooperstown at that time of year in October is very slow and not as busy. So we kind of, we enjoyed that a lot. And uh, it was, it was a really fun trip. So that was probably my highlight. Other than that, hanging out with my dog, my husband too, of course, but mainly my dog and, uh, you know, yeah, just uh, hanging out with family and friends. I want to dive into your personal background more in a little bit, but I think we can start taking a look back at how last year went for both the Royals and in a sense the Storm Chasers too because I think it was near the end of the season I did the math on the percentage of 2023 Kansas City Royals that also spent time in Omaha 
if if I remember correctly, it was up north of 70%. I mean, it was a good chunk of the roster, whether on rehab assignment, going up and down, a guy like Michael Garcia, who was in Omaha for the first month of the year. How important were those guys to last year's Kansas City Royals? Not everyone was down there. I mean, Bobby was in Kansas City all year, but it was a good chunk of the roster that was back and forth. How important were those guys to the, the Royals? Yeah, the Royals made a, a commitment to be more transactional last year under manager Matt Cotrero. And people kind of sometimes they can balk at that phrase. But what that means is like using the 40 man roster to its max, like maximizing the depth that they have. They, they lacked depth last year. I think it's in a lot better spot this year. But like you said, those guys who went up and down, I know that's hard on them and their families, but it did help the Royals be able to kind of use the full 40 man to their best ability and play the matchups a little bit on the pitch. Pitching side, they moved guys around on the position player side quite a bit, both in the infield and outfield. So those guys um, in AAA, I know they say they they ride the the highway, the interstate quite a bit, but that's really important for any major league team, especially the Royals, who focus a lot on their homegrown players. Was there anyone that maybe came up from Omaha and surprised you a little bit this year? Not necessarily surprised, but someone that was flowing under the radar and really impressed at the big league level from your perspective? I think the first thing that came to mind when you asked that was James MacArthur. He obviously joined you guys late, I think around May or June. Yeah. Um, I can't remember exactly, but then he came up. It didn't go great up there in Kansas City. I was really impressed with the way he took that outing. I want to say he gave up like seven. I don't have a stat line right in front me but it was it was uh, hard to watch he took that in stride and then he he took what the pitching coaches told him to do told him to work on went down to Omaha worked on that and then the next time he came up it was a different pitcher I mean he he looked great and obviously um, you know how he ended the year and now we're talking about James MacArthur as you know a really high, a high leverage option for the Royals in 2024 so things like that can change pretty quickly but I'd say given like his first outing and then to his, his next outing like that was a big difference that was a big surprise and really good for him and the Royals. Yeah, I remember talking to James right after he came back down. It was up for a few days that he didn't get into a game and then he, he came back down to Omaha and you'd almost expect someone in that situation to kind of be bummed at how things went, but his perspective was just remarkable to me of realizing, man, like I made it to the major leagues. These past couple of years have been tough and I made it there. I know what I need to work on and I, he had been pretty dominant that last month with Omaha. Came back, wasn't as dominant with us, but obviously got to go up again and give it another shot. And part of what interested me about last year for the Royals is that I guess a big reason of why it was transactional was they were trying to figure out who fits into their puzzle moving forward. And I think we've seen that in how this offseason has kind of operated in that there are a lot of what were familiar faces the past couple of years for Omaha, whether it's a Jonathan Heasley, a Jackson Kowar, Colin Snyder, Max Castillo, just to name a few, Dylan Coleman's with Houston. Now, all these guys that are no longer in the organization, whether it's a James MacArthur performance or what Steven Cruz did uh, down that final month of the season, how important were those performances for some of the guys bouncing back and forth and, and helping solidify their spot of the organization moving forward? Yeah, for sure. You, you're exactly right. The Royals didn't want to put you know that kind of like huge pressure on them every outing they you know got out there or every at bat they took but that was the whole point of last season was opportunity and they gave guys opportunity and some of them uh, showed that they belong some of them showed they have stuff to work on but the Royals have a, had a clearer picture at the end of the season I think than they did at the beginning and you kind of you've, you've seen that through the moves they made the additions that they've they made to the pitching staff both rotation and bullpen wise you know they had to they had to 
shore up some things there on the pitching staff. They had to get some reliable starters. They needed to get some high leverage guys in, in the back end to help supplement that the core that they have and help those guys develop without putting you know the weight of the world on on their shoulders every night when they're trying to develop these guys at the major league level. I don't know if anyone externally necessarily expected the Royals to commit a hundred million dollars to payroll this offseason, but looking at what Matt Quatrero and JJ Pacola were saying in spring training over the course of this season, I don't think it's necessarily surprising though that the Royals have made the moves that they have this offseason, right? No, not at all. They JJ Pacola, the general manager, was very upfront at the beginning of the offseason saying we need to add two to three starters. They've added two and, and they in Michael Waka and Seth Lugo and they have some options, you know, for for other guys um, to, to help out the rotation now. So they were up front. They met their goals for the offseason. Uh, I think, you know, pretty early on as, as slow as the market is this year, they, they were one of the teams that kind of met it, met those goals early on. And now it's about just helping out the depth, shoring that up, making their roster, you know, the best it can be, you know, within their, their limits, of course, payroll wise after committing $105 million um, to these six free agents. But they were pretty clear at the end of the season what their goals were. And I'd say that they met those with the, the six free agents that they've added. Are there any other places that you see them maybe making moves before the season starts? I mean, maybe it's a left-handed reliever. There aren't a lot of options in the minor leagues. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think, you know, if you can add to your bullpen, you probably want to do that. And anytime you can add another arm to your rosters is, is a good thing. I, I know that they've looked at, you know, adding a, a utility bat uh, as well, maybe a, a left-handed guy to help to help out the bench there. So there are definitely ways that they can add to their roster still. It's by no means a complete roster. There's still a lot that has to go right too in 2024 for the Royals to really take a step toward contention again. But there are definitely little things that they can add. And depth is a huge one. So whether it's minor league signings with invites to spring training or um, you know smaller smaller deals like that, I think that they're going to look to make those. The depth that the Royals have, at least down to the AAA level, is fascinating for me because we look ahead to spring training. I don't feel like there are going to be as many roster battles as there were last spring training, maybe not necessarily as many roster spots open. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think, you know, you look at like the starters, especially in the infield, those are pretty much set. I think second base is one that we can maybe see some movement. You know, you've got Michael Massey there, as I would label him as the incumbent, but you've also got Garrett Hampson, who's coming into spring training for the first time with the Royals. You've got Nick Lofton, who's going to be fighting for a spot. They can both play anywhere, too, so it's nice to have that flexibility. I think the outfield's a little bit more up in the air. Kyle Isbell will probably be the center fielder. Hunter Renfro uh, is is that veteran corner outfielder, but then you've got a mix of guys who are going to be fighting for a starting spot, and then you are also got a mix of guys who will be fighting for that those bench spots. The pitching staff, I think the rotation is fairly set, barring any injuries, but you need to have those depth guys stretch out and Spring training, if there if there are any injuries, and you'll know, be ready to start the you know season in Omaha or even Kansas City in the bullpen, and then the bullpen obviously has a couple of spots that we'll be fighting. But I think those additions that the Royals have made does shore up the roster a little bit. Although spring, you never know what's going to happen with injuries or or whatever else happens over the six weeks in, in Arizona. So there will be definitely um, spots to watch, some some battles to to keep an eye on as we move forward. The trickle down effect that this can possibly have to the storm. Chasers, I think could make this season very interesting. And I recognize it's not an exact science, but looking at the roster resource tool that Fangraphs has, I mean, possibly a rotation for Omaha to start the year has 
over 200 major league innings just from this past year with the Royals. I think it's it's kind of tough to figure out where maybe a Daniel Lynch or an Alec Marsh, Angel Serpa kind of slide into the picture. What do you think the balance might be between having guys pitch out of the bullpen of the big leagues to start the year or maybe having them start the year in Omaha's rotation? It looks like either way, it's going to be an experienced rotation for the Storm Chasers to start. Yeah, I think so. Obviously, there's a lot of value in having five starters down in Omaha to help, you know, come in, make a spot start, fill in for an injury, whatever, um, doubleheader, that sort of thing. Having an experience down there gives the Royals peace of mind when they say, hey, we need you to start you know, in Kansas City tonight, get up there and know that they're going to get get a good start from those guys. As far as, you know, moving players to the moving starters to the bullpen, I think a lot of these players, you mentioned Daniel Lynch, Amon um, Zerpa, they're at the point of their careers where they, you know, they need to find a role if they want to help out in Kansas City. So I think the Royals are at that point where if they see an opportunity for these guys, maybe we uh, maybe they you know move it to the bullpen and, and see kind of how that goes and how that happens. So we might see movement down in Omaha, what rotation bullpen. We might see movement up in, up in Kansas City, uh, switching between the two. But yeah, you're right. It should be very interesting to see how they go about that. One of my favorite parts of the past couple of years for the Royals has been seeing those guys finally make their major league debuts. This past year, it was 10 players from Omaha got up to Kansas City. And I think there are a handful that are really strong candidates to make their debut at some point in 2024. I think the the two best places to start would be Will Klein and Tyler Gentry. Looking at who would be added to the 40-man roster ahead of the Rule 5 draft, in my head, there were, I don't know, five or six people that it maybe could be, but there were two definites. And those are the two that the Royals ended up adding. Not crazy to think that Will Klein and Tyler Gentry factor into the Royals' plans at at some point this next year. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Those two were pretty much as sure sure of a bet you could make uh, ahead of the Rule 5 protection deadline. And then I think Tyler Gentry fits in well with that outfield mix that we were talking about earlier. He'll be you know vying for a spot. We should be able to see him set some point in 2024. And, and same for Will Klein and the bullpen there. So those two, absolutely keep, keep an eye on them for their debuts. They're probably the most ready prospects the Royals have down there in Omaha to make it up to Kansas City this year. Is there anyone else top of mind that you think maybe should be on Royals fans' radar as someone that we might see come up for their debut at some point in 2024? I do think like Christian Chamberlain is is a guy who the Royals debated um, adding to their roster ahead of the Rule 5 deadline just because he's a lefty reliever. Teams like, like to take those players in the Rule 5 draft. No one did, obviously. He's a guy that, you know, if he starts out strong in Omaha, he could easily be added to the bullpen at some point in 2024 if the Royals need a spark there. So he's he's a guy to to keep an eye on. Evan Sis too. I, I thought he might get a shot last year before the year started. You know he's he's a guy the Royals were excited about acquiring in the Michael A. Taylor trade with the Twins. So maybe he's someone to keep an eye on as well. But those pitchers, like everybody, has an opportunity with the way the Royals have operated. You know this past year, you can tell like they're going to look at everybody. They're going to look at their whole organization and and see how those pieces can fit. I think you're absolutely right, and, and I'm excited to see who... It's not fair to make comparisons, but who next year's maybe... You mentioned James MacArthur, even Stephen Cruz, and, and in my mind, maybe a, a Jonah DePoto, a Walter Pennington, Andrew Hoffman possibly could get chances. I mean, even like a... I think Diego Hernandez is kind of an interesting one, a guy that was added to the 40-man roster and then got hurt. What was it? Day one of spring training games, basically. Yeah. Maybe not as much up-and-down movement as last year, but there definitely will still be a, a, a good amount of transactional activity this next season. 
And on the position player side, too, I, I want to point out John Ray. I, I thought he might get also get a chance last year, and uh, he'll come into this year. Probably, you know, likely as a, as a non-roster invite, um, get get in that outfield mix. And, you know, I, see, I think people should probably keep an eye on him as well. And Devin Mann, too. Um, I, he's a new guy to the organization, but I could see him, you know, coming in the mix if, if the Royals need anything in the infield, really. He can he can play all over. And an aside for those listening, Devin Mann, one of our top Stormcast podcast guests of, of 2023, one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet, certainly someone that I hope to have a shot this next year. The last thing I want to touch on with the Royals before we get to know you a little bit, the, the position that the Royals are in heading into this season, I think is fascinating because they're in arguably the weakest division in baseball, and they've made more upgrades, it feels like, than most teams in the big leagues right now. Not all, but most. Is it fair to say the Royals have a shot to be competitive in the AL Central this year? I know I'm going to get tons of questions about predictions uh, as we enter spring training, uh, as I always do. And uh, I don't like predicting these things because like anything can happen and I don't like being wrong. So, but I do think like you make a great point about the American league central. The twins are very clearly the team to beat in the American league central, even as they kind of take a step back with their payroll. And they lost a couple of guys this year, including Sonny Gray, who absolutely demolished the Royals pretty much any time that he faced them. So they Royals are happy that he's out of the division. So they're very clearly the team to beat, but there are questions surrounding every single team in, in the Central. The Guardians, they always have good pitching, but they're kind of up in the air as to what they're going to do. They also have a, a new manager at the helm, so you never know how that's going to work out. They very well could trade Shane Bieber, too, this offseason still, so questions there. The Tigers are in a similar spot with the Royals. They're going to get a couple pitchers back this year, but I think they, they've still got a ton of questions to figure out as far as their rebuild goes. And then the White Sox are rebuilding again, doing something, <laughs> you know, who knows, but they, they've got to retool a little bit there. So there are plenty of questions in Chicago. So if anything, the Royals will have a lot of questions. I mentioned that there needs to be a lot that goes right for them in 2024 to, to win a lot more games. But if they were going to be in this position, like this is the division that they would want to be in because anything can happen in, in the AL Central. Enough of pressuring you about the Kansas City Royals and to make predictions. I want to get to know you a little <laughs> bit. For those that follow you on Twitter, they might have a little bit of a, a glimpse as to what your role is. Obviously, pretty heavy writing component. But if you can kind of take us through for those unfamiliar, what is your during the season day to day job like as the Royals beat reporter for MLB.com? Yeah, it's different every day. That's why I love the job. You never know what's going to happen when you go to the ballpark. It could be a very mundane day. It could be an historic day. So you never know. But typically, you know, for let's say it's a seven o'clock game, I show up uh, around 2.30 or 3. The clubhouse opens around then. Guys have already trickled in and started their pregame work, things like that. We talk to the manager. We talk to any players that we you know, we need to talk to in the clubhouse or out on the field. I do my, my pregame work includes what you know writing news if there is some updating my roster moves injury updates file that always seems to need an update because the Royals made a ton of roster moves last year and then you know working ahead on stuff whether you know I might have a newsletter due that night or you know the next couple days um, transcribing interviews running down front office people that I need to talk to things like that so there's a lot that goes into it pregame and then once the game starts you know I have to write a story or two off of every game so keeping score watching the storylines stuff like that is what I do during the game and then post game head down to the clubhouse again talk to the man 
manager, talk to players that, you know, I need to for whatever story I'm writing. Usually it's the starting pitcher, a couple hitters, a reliever if they had a big impact on the game and then write my story. So it ends up ends up being nine, 10 hour day at the ballpark, sometimes shorter, actually a little bit shorter now because of the uh, pitch clock. So very happy about that. But then, yeah, head home and wake up the next morning and do it all over again. Those day night, you know, when it's a night game and then into a day game, those are short turnarounds. Um, travel makes makes it harder too. But um, overall, it's, it's a fun gig and um, I love doing it. I'm always interested to ask people that work in, in sports because no two positions are really the same. I know at times for me, especially once you get to July and August, it, it can kind of feel like Groundhog Day where it just it feels like you had this day last week. Is there anything you do to try and keep the, the day-to-day fresh? Obviously, part of that happens for you with the nature of, of roster moves and games are different. But for yourself, how do you keep every day new? Yeah, I, I enjoy going on the road. I don't enjoy it because it takes me away from my family, but I enjoy it because it does like break up the monotony a little bit. I get to explore different cities. You know, if it's a city I go to a lot, like go to my favorite coffee shops or, you know, in there. So that helps a little bit. I'm really thankful for the schedule that I have. My boss gives us some series on the road off. So we hand it off to a backup in in a certain city. And I kind of get to not check out because you can never check out in this job, but I at least get to close the laptop a little bit and kind of reset that way. That's really nice. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it does like have these lulls in the schedule. I always, everyone's always like, oh, opening day. It's so exciting. And I'm like, opening day is exciting, but beginning middle of April is a massive lull for me because I had just spent six weeks in spring training, got home. And now like the full like weight of the season has set in. So that's a big lull. And then it picks up again in July because of the trade deadline. And then August is like dog days of summer, you know, like you got to grind through that. So there are, I can anticipate those in the schedule a little bit more now that I'm a couple of years into this and know like, okay, this is what I need to do to (laughs) keep getting through and, you know, look at the light at the end of the tunnel, which is the end of the season. Do you have a favorite road city or favorite visiting ballpark to cover a game at? Yeah, I I love all the historic ballparks. Boston, I mentioned earlier, I love the city of Boston. I love Fenway Park. I actually love Wrigley Field too. And I love going to Chicago. I have a ton of college friends in Chicago, so that also helps. I really enjoy the summer in Chicago. Obviously on the West Coast, LA is great. Seattle is a really fun city. It's actually, I guess it's T-Mobile Park now is one of my favorite ballparks. When you get the weather right in Seattle, they open the roof and it's just absolutely gorgeous. So that's definitely one of my favorite ballparks. And then Minneapolis actually is one of my favorite cities. I really like Target Field. I love the downtown ballpark feel. And I have a favorite, like I have a favorite lunch spot, a favorite coffee shop there. My hotel is super close to the ballpark. So I got a little routine every time I go to Minneapolis and the weather is usually great up there in the summer. I'm glad you said that because I think St. Paul might have been my favorite road trip this past year for the Storm Chasers. I had my my go-to breakfast spot every day, my go-to lunch spot. And the first day that we were there, we got to, me and a few other folks from the Storm Chasers staff did the Saints-Twins doubleheader because we had a game at noon and the, the mm-hmm. Twins played that night against uh, against the Giants. So that's a fun one. How close are you to all 30 ballparks? Have you, have you visited all 30 yet or are there any left? I am at 25, actually. I actually, I'm looking at the wall in my office. I get a mini bat for every every new stadium I go to. And so I've got five spots left. Let me see if I can remember them. Miami, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Actually, Anaheim is one that I haven't been to, which is surprising because it's in, you know it's in the AL, but it's just one that we have a backup in, and I usually get that series off. And then uh, Toronto. So I'm hoping to get 
Anaheim and Toronto and Pittsburgh this year on the schedule, but I'm kind of at the mercy of my boss there <laughs> a little bit. But yeah, we're, we're getting down to it. We're almost there. One of the things that I think has been, I guess, fascinating about the last couple of years of just being someone that follows the Royals news on social media, you've been there so as long as I've been in the Royals organization. For the other outlets, there's been a little bit of movement. And there was a period of time this past offseason where you were the only Royals dedicated beat reporter for any outlet. What was that experience like being the only person and how was that different, I guess, from either this season where you're working a lot of games with Jalen from the star or, or past years where you had Lynn and Alec around you a lot day to day? Yeah, very different. It was actually the whole spring training. It was just me as the lone beat writer. And then I also had Josh Vernier, who's 610 Sports yep. Radio. So his job is a little different than mine. It was nice to have him there, but we just do different jobs. So yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> It was weird. It was really weird to be the only person. Like I would explain it to other beat writers with other teams and they would be like, what? How are you the only person? Also, it was good in the fact that like I got exclusive stuff all the time. Basically, if you wanted to read Royal stuff, you head to MLB.com. I loved that part of it. There were different challenges, though. You know, you call them scrums uh, when it's a bunch of reporters and interviewing one person. The scrum was me and another person. And then, you know, a couple people who would either drop in or PR listening in or a cameraman here and there. So I would be the only person asking questions and it would be a one on one with people listening in. That would be really challenging. If I had to ask a tough question to a player or a coach or front office, it would fall on me all the time. Whereas like if you have a beat around you. We're competitors, but we're also friendly in the fact that like, I'll take a tough question one time. And then, you know, Jalen, or if I, when I had Lynn and Alec with me, they would take the tough question the next time. So we would kind of lessen that burden on ourselves. So it was challenging in that sense to be the only one there, but I'm very lucky. The Royals are a great organization to cover filled with really good people it's a great clubhouse to cover. So they all kind of, <laughs> they kind of helped me out when I needed it. Uh, and they still do. They still help Jalen and I out quite a bit, but yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting experience. Uh, one that I probably don't want to go through again, but I still would love people to keep reading MLB.com, of course, <laughs> for your Royal stuff. I know you had spent some time on the, the Cardinals beat before coming over to the Royals. Where do you think in, I guess, this three-year now entering season four covering the Royals, where do you think you've grown the most? Yeah, that's a good question. I think just in the way that I react to news, I know how to handle it now. You know, when I was starting out, like news would happen and I'd panic. <laughs> like, oh my God, I got to get you know something up really quickly. And that would often lead to mistakes, which you don't want to have happen. Accuracy is our number one goal always. So I think now when news happens, whether I, you know, get scooped or I get to break news, which is fun. I think I can kind of like stay calm, collected, know what I need to get. You know, I always say like, it's always fun to be first. It's way better to have the most, the best story at the end of the day. So get the context I need, add in my expertise as someone who's covered the team for, for a while now and who knows organization top to bottom. So that's probably been my, my biggest growth point. And then just like knowing people around the organization, you get in and it's so much. Like you look at the media guide and you're like, I have to know all of these people. And it's not just players and coaches, it's front office people, scouts. And then you expand that to the industry as a whole. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It can be really overwhelming, but I think year by year, more people 
in the organization know me and I know them. We start to build relationships, which obviously leads to more information that I can help readers uh, get to. So it's a long play. You know, it's a a long game. You want to have everything figured out in the first couple of years and it's just not going to happen. You've got to just keep your head down, keep working and step by step, it does get better. And I'm looking at year four, which is insane. Like I said at the beginning, you know, I'm, I'm saying, okay, some of this stuff has is starting to pay off now. And that's really exciting. I'm glad you mentioned that part about how many people are in the organization because my coworkers give me a hard time where I'll you know drop off stat packs in the clubhouse and I see a face that I don't recognize and I'll come back to my desk and I'm flipping through the media guide, looking at headshots and you know, well, who's in, who's in town this week and try and narrow it down to the 200 headshots that there are to pick from. Yeah, there is a lot. There are a lot of people <laughs> in the organization and it's probably important to know most of them. So, um, I'll, so someone will walk by me and they'll be like, Hey, Annie. and I'll be like, Hey, and then I'll keep walking. And I have no idea who that person was. And I try to figure it out. They know me and I don't know them. So I got to try to figure that out. But that's happened quite a few times, especially in spring training where everybody's there. That's a, that's a fun one where someone knows you and you don't know who they are. And that's a, that's, that's a good time. Do you have any favorite moments? I shouldn't even limit you to your time with the Royals, but working for MLB.com, are there any moments, games that you covered, events that stand out to you as, as being especially memorable? Yeah, there's there's a lot. Just last year, I mean, it was a tough season, obviously covering 106 losses, but there were little moments here and there. Bobby's 30-30 season uh, was really cool. And I say it because obviously it's a historic thing. You want to write the story well, but it's it's funny because I, I knew this was going to happen. So you you prep, you have stories written ahead of time. You, you just need to fill out details. And he went on this hot tear in August. I remember sitting in a Seattle coffee shop, like banging out the story because I thought he was going to hit his 30th home run that night or a couple nights later. And it ended up being like not until the very end of the season that he he got his 30th. So I had to like keep updating that story every day with, with his stats. But when he finally did it, I was like, okay, sweet. The story is done. Here it is. We got it up really quick. I was able to you know cover it well. That was, that was a fun moment for him, for the team. And then also for me, you know, just covering that, that kind of history is really cool. There's been a lot. I mean, his debut too, Bobby Witt Jr.'s debut in 2022 was really fun. Announcing his arrival uh, to the major leagues, you know, by, by helping win that game against the Twins on opening day in 2022. I remember that pretty fondly. Covering Bobby is really fun. <laughs> it's it's a fun one because it's almost like every day he does something something new. So I would say those are the two off the top of my head that I can think of. But in St. Louis, like covering the history there was really fun. Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, two legends of the game. And then even going back to like my intern year, in 2018 with the Rockies covering Nolan Arenado. They were good. They were good that year. They went to the, you know, they played in the wild card game. So that was really fun. That I remember that summer so fondly because it taught me that I wanted to be a baseball writer. I went to school for journalism. I wanted to do sports journalism. I didn't know what sport. And that was a summer like being in the clubhouse and being in the press box with all these other writers. I realized like, hey, this is uh, this is what I want to do. I want to try to go do this. And, and luckily it all worked out later on. But I will always remember that summer. So you segued perfectly into how I slowly want to wrap this up. You're a Mizzou Tiger. Oh, yeah. You're, you're a native of Iowa. How'd you end up at, at Mizzou? Journalism. I was on the high school newspaper staff and my advisor there said, hey, you know, you can do this for a living. You can cover sports and you can write about sports. And I was like, really? That's awesome. Let's do it. So I had a list of journalism programs I wanted to go see and 
my mom wouldn't let me go very far. So Syracuse was out. I wanted to go to like California. She was like, I'm not putting you on a plane. No way. You got to stay, you know, within driving distance. It's like, okay. Luckily, Mizzou is is one of, if not the best, I say it's the best, of course, journalism program in, in the country. And so that was only four hours away from my my hometown. So I uh, went there and best four years of my life. I met lifelong friends. I met my husband and I I got, you know, my dream job out of it. So I will always be um, part of the Mizzou mafia. I will always say go Tigers. It's like the one team that I can truly root for. I feel like, you know, sports journalists kind of take the fandom out of it, but I can, I can really say I root for the Tigers. So I will always uh, say go Tigers. As an Arizona State Sun Devil, I can relate to the rooting for that one team, but I'm not sure about the best journalism school in the country aspect. We can <laughs> agree to disagree. Well, we can debate that later. <laughs> what was your, I guess, introduction to sports? We kind of connected college to where you are now, but what was it growing up, I guess, your, your connection to sports or baseball that helped you know that you wanted to go down this route? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I grew up a sports person in a sports family. I played a ton of sports growing up. My grandparents were huge baseball fans. I remember actually sitting out on the patio at my grandpa's house in the summers when they would they would watch me and my brother listening to Cardinals games on the radio. Like he wouldn't even let me watch it on TV. We would, we would be listening on the radio. So I, I know you'll appreciate that. So that's kind of how I, I grew up to be a sports fan. And in high school, I, I ran cross country and track. I wasn't good at any other sport and just focus on put one foot in front of the other. That was, that was my fortitude, but uh, I enjoyed watching and writing about sports. And I just think sports are something that can connect people. And I love that. I love those storylines. I love writing about people. And there's so many of, of that in in sports, in baseball and in football, whatever it was. Um, I, I enjoyed doing that. So when I learned that I could combine my love of sports and my love of writing and put it out there to the world, like that was a really cool thing for me. And I'm very lucky that it led, led me here. Again, kind of talking about highlights, were there any events that you got to cover in, in college or any special moments that you look back fondly as from the, the student journalism days? You know, I covered Mizzou football for two years and they it, they weren't very good those two years. But something I will always cherish is covering Mizzou women's basketball when I was there. Sophie Cunningham, she was like a nationally known player, uh, you know, and she was we called her like the mayor of Columbia. Covering her was really, really fun. I just the program is so great and fans really embraced it. I really enjoyed covering women's basketball when I was in college. I got to cover um, the NCAA tournament when they were in it. So I actually, they played in Iowa city, which was fun. So I got to, I go up to the university of Iowa and, and cover that round. So that was really fun. The, the, that's probably the, the moments that stick out the most. Like everyone always wants the football beat, which is the biggest beat there in men's basketball. But I really enjoyed those smaller beats, like women's basketball. I got to know the team a little bit better. And then some of the other colleges and high schools in Columbia, it was fun kind of getting to know the players and the coaches kind of in the, in the town and not just at Mizzou. One of the best parts, in my opinion, about going to one of those top journalism programs isn't just for the experience you get, but it's the connections you make. How often are you running into other Tigers out in the wild, whether it's someone that you went to school with or, or someone that was there just before you were just after? Because that's one of my favorite parts. Oh, yeah. All over the place. You know, I mentioned Mizzou Mafia. We, we've got it. That's uh, I feel like every <laughs> every sport, every team like has a Mizzou person somewhere um, or, or knows a Mizzou person. It's awesome. You can you kind of have that I don't know, fraternity or, or whatever it is that, you know, you say, oh, I went to Mizzou, too. And then you talk about, you know, Columbia, you talk about the all the food stops and 
whatever throughout the campus and, and things like that. It's it's fun to like reminisce on all that. So yeah, they're, they're, we're all over the place, which which is great. Unfortunately, in Kansas City, I also have a lot of KU people. Mm-hmm. Which, no offense, but that's it's tough being like one of the only Mizzou people in the press box. Over in St. Louis, we had we had a bunch of them. Now I have to see all these Jayhawks all the time, but it, it's okay. It, it's fine. I, I just keep talking about Mizzou and hopefully they'll convert at some point. One of my favorite parts about taking trips to Kansas City, I know I have at least one other Sun Devil in the press box and Ian Kraft. Annie, I really do appreciate the time. I'm glad we're able to sit down and, and chat a little bit about last year, this year, what's to come, getting to know you personally. I've said this before. I hope you take advantage of all of your off days, but if you ever choose to spend one coming up to Omaha, it'll be good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Again, this has been episode 75 of the Stormcast, the official podcast of the Omaha Storm Chasers presented by the Sarpy County Chamber of Commerce. Lots still to come this off season as we look ahead to 2024. But again, for Annie Rogers, I'm Nick Batters, and this has been the Stormcast, the official podcast of the Omaha Storm Chasers presented by the Sarpy County Chamber of Commerce. Everyone get on your feet, stir up the storm.